Well, if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in uh, Acts chapter 2 today. If you don't, uh, however you access those on your phone or whatever, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, well, most of the scriptures will be on the screen this morning as well. We are in uh, part two of a series uh, called Discover Meaning. And uh, I don't know about you, one of the things I used to love to do when I was growing up, we, my brother and I would like do this, like playing games. We would hide things around the house. Like we were bored as kids. Like, there were, you know, we didn't have phones to play games on. And I remember when we got our first Atari 2600, and, like we could play like Pong and Pac-Man, like our days were filled with something else. But like we would like hide things around the house and then we would like give each other clues, like go find what I hid. And uh, we would go searching high and low. We had all of our, you know, main hiding spots and then one of us on occasion would find a new hiding spot that we would hide something in. And finally, you know, we'd discover something new. And it was this whole childhood, like, game of discovery, like finding something new. And I think we go through life sometimes thinking that that's what life is about. Like, what am I going to discover today? What's going to happen today? Like, where where is God going to take me today? And that that's true. Like, there are new mercies every day. There's new experiences that we have every day. But I think we also then attach that to meaning in our life. Like, I, one day, I'm going to discover my true meaning. One day. It's not today. It's certainly not this day, because this day is already horrible, bad. It's gloomy outside. You know, it's not today. But maybe one day I will find it. And here's what we end up doing. We end up going through the entirety of our life searching for something that God has already told us way back at the beginning. And we think we're on this scavenger hunt trying to find meaning in our life when God has said, I've already given you meaning. And we so attach meaning in our life to the work of our hands, the accomplishments of our hands, the achievements that we can do, that we think one day when I achieve enough, when I accomplish enough, meaning will be found. I'm so glad this isn't the case. I told you last week, I'm not good with my hands. I I don't build things. I'm, I'm not really good with that. I'm also not good at like, some other activity. Yesterday I went fishing. Like we went out on a boat. A group of us like pastors around the city. We went out on a boat like down off the coast of Brooklyn yesterday. I'm, I'm not a fisherman either. I would just tell you that straight up. Like I, I have tried to fish in the past. Uh, I just don't think fish like me. Like whatever I do, I try to copy what other people do. And so we were out on this boat. And uh, so we were out there and like we're out there and Everybody's getting their rod and reels. Like, everybody already has their stuff in the water. I'm still trying to figure out how to get bait on my hook. And I finally get mine in the water, and they're like, you have to bounce it up and down. I was like, well, this is kind of fun, I guess. And then, uh, like, three down from me, a guy catches a fish. Like, he'd been in the water two minutes. And I was like, this is going to be a good day, right? Like, this is easy. And I'm bouncing nothing. And then this lady comes down. She was a friend of one of the crew members. I didn't even know who she was. And she had, like, this, what looked like a toy fishing rod. I mean, it wasn't even like one of the nice big ones we had. It looked like like what you would buy, like a Walmart or something, a toy fishing rod. And it didn't have all the weights and everything on it. And anyway, she goes and like she throws, as soon as it like drops in, boom, she gets a hit. And I'm like, this is like, fine. Like if she can do this, I can do this. Well, for 10 minutes, I sat there bobbing my hook up and down, up and down. And it started raining. And I was like, I'm done with this. Like, I just reeled it back in. I brought a book. I went upstairs with a boat and I read a book. Like, I was done with fishing. And uh, David, our Korean pastor, he was in here early. He caught two fish yesterday. He was on the trip. But uh, I came home with zero. Like, if my life meaning was determined by how I was as a fisherman, I would be struggling today to stand before you with any dignity or pride. So it, it's not about the work of our hands or our accomplishments because we can get so caught up in that. Last week we talked about this, 
and that meaning in our life is actually discovered in these relationships and connections that we have with other people. That God designed us to experience life and experience the meaning of life when we connect our life, and we used this word last week, in harmony with one another. Learning to live in harmony or in balance with each other. Not surrounding ourselves by everybody that's exactly like me or not putting myself in always difficult situations, but learning to find balance and harmony in our life. And without these relationships, imagine your life without relationships. What if you had no one to share good news with? What if you had no one to receive encouragement from, no one to seek counsel from? What if you had no one to argue with? What if you had no one to to love, no one to aspire to do life with or to be like in your life? The entirety of our life, the true meaning of our life is found in community with each other. I mean, God created this way. He said he created us in the image of God, and the image of God is even this, right? When we think about God, we think about God in three groups. Like there's the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's, it's this unity and community that God is even created in. And so today, last week we talked about this harmony and this balance of connecting with people that are not like us, that are outside of the faith, and how we do that, and then connecting with people inside the faith, like for accountability. How do we, how do we have this balance in our life? And this week we're going to talk about some key relationships that we can put in our life that will bring balance, that will help us grow in our faith. How do we grow? How do we develop in our faith? Uh, throughout Scripture, we see pictures of people experiencing the Christian life together. It's very rare that we see an individualized model of Christianity in the Bible or even, even in history of like this individual, like, you know, Lone Ranger Christian. Do you realize the Lone Ranger even had Tonto? Like, he, you know, he, he, he's called the Lone Ranger, but he needed a friend wherever he went. And that's the way our life is designed. As we go through Christian life, we are not called to be Lone Ranger Christians. Think about the examples in the Bible, Jesus and the disciples. Jesus, and even the closer ones, Peter, James, and John. You had Paul, Timothy, Barnabas. Every time Paul wrote a letter, he, wrote it, he didn't write it to a person. He wrote it to the church at Corinth, the church in Ephesus, the church in Thessalonica. Paul, Paul always addressed the body of believers. The biblical model of Christianity is not solo Christianity. Always reading the Bible alone, spending hours and days alone, away from others, and only with God. That's not the biblical model. Are there times that we should do that? Yes, and Scripture speaks. Go along, get in your prayer closet, have those moments of retreat. But the vast majority of the picture we see of Christianity is doing life with God and with others. I mean, we say it, I just said it uh, a few minutes ago. One of the things we always want to do here is connect with God and connect with others. That's the picture of what this is. And for far too long, we have embraced this idea of having this personal relationship with God. Now, each of us have to come to personal accountability with God. We have to make peace with God personally. I can't do that for you. But once we've done that, God never expected us or wants us to experience this Christian life alone. It's in community. We're not to have to carry the weight by ourselves of this life, but we also aren't the sole beneficiaries of it. And like I said, while it's true that each of us may most personally make peace with God, nowhere in Scripture does it teach that the life of a Christ follower should remain private. Well, you know, I just, those are things I don't talk about with anybody else. That's not the way God designed us. And it's a subtle trap that sounds good, but it's really horrible thinking. 
we think, you know, I, I just don't want to burden other problem, people with my problems. I, I don't want to seem dumb or immature in my faith. And so what we end, up do, we end up doing is this. We start to cover up our sin. We don't ask for help. We invest in the exterior of our lives instead of the interior of our lives. And we start to elevate works over actual faith. And we lose the joy of our salvation when we isolate. So what I want us to do is I want us to jump back into the scripture we looked at last week, which is Acts 2:42 through 47. It helps us kind of break through some of these guarded hearts that we have. Some of us are more intentional and more passionate about guarding our hearts into getting into deep relationships than we are anything else in our life. And this is the idea this passage pushes against and Christ pushed against the entire time. So let's read 242 through 47 again, and then we're focused on a part of it. Acts 242 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all who have need. And 46 is where we're going to focus today. And it said, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those that are being saved. Now, when we look at verse 46, when we take a look at that deeply today, we're going to see that God calls us to embrace two things in our life that will That if if we put these there, they will take the guards off of our heart. They will open up our heart and allow us to connect with other people the way he designed us to do. And the first thing we're to embrace is this. God calls you and I to embrace community. Community. Now, that word community is a big word. It's put out there all the time. It's, you know, it's not a place, but it's we're talking about it in in a sense of a connectivity between people. This is a community. This is how we're designed to experience life with others that are on this journey. And when we embrace community, what we actually do is we abandon something else and we abandon isolation. I want to tell you something. Isolation is the quickest way to stunt your spiritual and personal growth, to isolate yourselves. I can guarantee that you will limit yourself if you isolate yourself. You will limit yourself if you isolate yourself. Embracing communities that I actually take on the responsibility of being part of a family of faith, that I join in to a family. I connect our lives with other people in such a way that their pain, struggles, and their challenges become my pain, struggle, and challenges. And their joy, growth, and abundance become my joy, growth, and abundance. As our kids were younger, and and even today, they, they have chores that they have to do around the house, more so than... Than, than now, earlier than now, but I, I have chores I have to do around the house. Katie has chores she has to do around the house. And like, I, there's some of them I don't like doing. I, I don't like taking out the trash. Like, it's just not, like, I, I have to walk, you know, just a few doors down from my apartment. It's not like it's a hard thing to do, but, like, going around and picking up all the trash, getting it, bagging it, and take, like, I would just prefer somebody else to do that. But if that's my job, and I cease to do that, there are consequences, right? Like, it starts to pile over. It starts to smell. There's impact to the rest of our family if I choose to say, that's not a part I'm going to play. 
I'm going to isolate myself. I'm gonna, there's no trash in this room. I will go hide in this room, right? And so we do that. We sometimes think, man, it is, it's just too hard sometimes to reach out to people, to connect with people. It's just it's difficult. And I'm not equating following Christ to this list of chores, but what I am saying is this idea that there are ways that Christ has called us to live with one another that require us to embrace building community together. It's just a natural way that we should live. This church isn't a group of individuals. It's a faith family. It's a group of people striving to learn how to live out our calling and to surrender to Christ. Now, we're all here from different, and we're all in different places in our journey, but that's what makes up a family a family. It's not a group of identical people living together. It's a group of individuals learning how to have harmony in their life together, how to work together how to move forward together, to work with one another. And this is one of the primary commands and pictures of life found in the New Testament. If you just read the New Testament straight through, you're going to see story after story and command after command and example after example of how to live life with one another. One of the most famous groupings of things in the Bible is the one another sayings, where there are these commands that say, this is how you should treat as believers. This is how you should treat one another. I want to read some of them to you this morning. This is what it says. This is how we build community. Love one another. Serve one another. Accept one another. Strengthen one another. Help one another. Encourage one another. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Commit to one another. Build trust with one another. Be devoted to one another. Be patient with one another. Be interested in one another. Be accountable to one another. Confess to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Admonish one another. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Meet with one another. Agree with one another. Be concerned for one another. Be humble toward one another. Be compassionate toward one another. Give preference to one another. Be at peace with one another. Sing to one another. Be at the same mind as one another. Comfort one another. Be kind to one another. Live in peace with one another and carry one another's burdens. That's what we're called to do. Now, as I read that list, how do we do this? I just read this. I don't even remember all those, right? I mean, I wrote that down and it was like, I don't even remember what I wrote down right now. I just said it all and I'm certainly certain that I am not living that out completely. And I want you to hear this. That isn't a checklist. Like some of you are like, oh, I've got to have that list. Like I've got to go put it on my fridge so I can be like, tell, tell my husband what he's not doing, right? Or how do, how do I do better? This is not a checklist of things I have to do or a set of disciplines that I must follow in order to grow in my faith. Instead, I want you to see it as this. What I just read is this beautiful masterpiece picture. God has painted for us that as we start to live in community with one another, these strokes start showing up naturally in our life. We start actually genuinely caring for one another, have a deep abiding love for one another. We start spurring one another on instead of trying to hold one another back. These things start to play out as the brushes that we paint our life with. A beautiful masterpiece that will never happen if we isolate ourselves. And you and I can very easily turn discipleship and spiritual growth into a task instead of this beautiful picture that God's painting for us. I, I know I grew up in, a, uh, in a, an environment where I, I could probably tell you still right now, like, here are the seven key skills that you need to have 
to grow in your faith. Here's 22 core values that you should establish in your life. Here are 17 verses that you need to memorize about this topic. And I want you to hear skills, values, and verses being memorized are not bad things. But they don't equate to growth and spiritual vitality apart from community. Like, I, I don't I have a, no problem people getting together and memorizing Scripture together, but it doesn't need to turn into the spiritual competition. It's cooperation. We're spurring one another on. I was a part of a disciple group as a teenager. And if we showed up and we had not memorized our passage for that day or not gotten everything completed or, or even it got so strict, like if I missed a word, like if I said a word out of place, like you had to do so many push-ups. And, like, it was like, you know, and I was like, I got in pretty good shape, though, because I would often not show up fully prepared. But, you know, or if you, if you didn't show up fully prepared, like, you couldn't speak. You couldn't be involved in the discussion. And I look back on that, and I was like, that's exactly the opposite. That's isolating. That's telling somebody, well, wait till you get it completely right until you can be a part. Instead of saying, hey, we, we, yeah, we want to hold each other accountable. We want to do this together. We want to challenge each other. But it's not to isolate each other. And I want you to hear that it's not just tasks that we have to do to grow in our faith. It's tasks in community. Look at Acts 2.46 again, and here are a couple of things that jump out of there. It says, day by day, they attended the temple together. So there's something I want you to see, <clears throat> a type of community that we have to have here, and it's an organized community where we learn and invest and learn from and invest into somebody regularly. We start growing our faith and our life skills. They don't just happen naturally. We do have to actually organize. We must be intentional in developing our skills and our lives to learn from looking one another and looking for ways to, to help what we've learned pass on to other people. Like, we, we try to do this in our community. Like, we organize. We have small groups that meet, community groups that meet during the week. It's a way we organize to say, hey, we'll plan a spot, provide some curriculum, get together, and talk. We have discipleship circles that are a little less organized, but we say, look, here's, go read the scripture together and then get together and talk. We have mentoring relationships that we engage with each other, with, that we have organized and say, if you need help in this area, let us know. But we can organize, and when we organize, it helps us grow. There's two things about learning in an organized community that you need to learn to do and embrace is this. You have to learn to submit, and you have to learn to encourage. Let me tell you <clears throat> what it means to submit. Submission is a compact, our concept and a term we actually talk a lot about in our church. We really believe that learning to submit to the right things is actually where we experience the most freedom and joy in our life. That we experience freedom when we submit. When we submit to wrong desires and causes, then we actually experience pain, restriction, and harm. Part of learning to submit is learning what and who to submit to. We're all going to submit to something. One of the worst things you can do in your life, though, is to believe the idea that I don't have to submit to anything. Pride, arrogance, ignorance can lead us to the belief that I am more capable and competent of understanding anything than anybody else. It can lead us to this idea that I am the greatest. A bunch of Muhammad Ali's walking around, right, just chanting, I am the greatest. I want to say, growing up, I had this idea in my life. I thought... If I put my mind to anything, I could be the best at it. Like, I, I still have a little belief. Like, if I would have spent all of my childhood and college years, like, every waking, I could be a major league baseball player right now. Like, I know how to swing. Like, I could do it. Like, or if I, I started taking the piano when I was, like, seven years old. 
and I stuck with it for about three months. But I, I go back, and I was like, if I would have stuck with it, like I, I could be playing Carnegie Hall, concert pianist. There's no doubt about it. Like we have this idea of like I could be the best. I could, but we also get this idea sometimes that, well, I'm the worst. I can't do anything right. I, you know, it's, there's no hope for me. And submitting allows us to learn that there are people more educated, more understanding that can help me grow. And as I submit to them, they're going to impact my life. This is amazing. The truth is that we don't learn and we don't grow without submitting. Who is it in your faith family, in this faith family, that's an example to you? Who is it that you could submit to? Reach out to them. Ask them to invest in you, to submit to them and learn from them. Do you have trouble forgiving, loving, serving? Are you feeling alone, rejected, or abandoned? Do you have trouble with specific attitudes or sins? Find somebody else who struggled with that and say, I need to submit to you to learn from you. There are people here who have worked through all of these issues or are working through these issues, and they're a resource for you, but we have to submit. The other thing with submitting is, that are to grow in organized communities. We don't all need to just submit, we, but we also need to all learn to encourage one another. And this is the flip side of submission, is being willing to encourage people. Because in a faith family, when somebody is willing to submit to another person to learn and grow, what they shouldn't find is in a dictator or a tyrant lording over them. That, that's somebody who's going to use their submission against them. Instead, what they should find is a loving brother or sister that is willing to walk with and encourage them. Jesus, because some, just because someone submits to you and seeks to grow from you, I want you to hear this. doesn't mean that they are weaker than you. doesn't mean that they're dumber than you or they're less valuable than you. It actually means that they have actually chosen to exercise wisdom and seek counsel in order to grow. Let me, let me give you some things to think about about how to embrace encouraging people. Is First, understand authority. When somebody submits to you, when somebody says, hey, could I learn from you? You seem to have this together. And they're asking you to be an authority in their life. I want you to hear this. Understand that you are an authority, not the authority in their life. And sometimes we get mixed up when we're like, you've asked me to speak into this area. I'm going to speak into these other 10 areas that you didn't invite me into as well. Or thinking that you are the end-all, be-all on that one topic. So understand authority. You are a authority, but not the authority in their lives. And understand that actually as you're teaching, you can learn from them. But also understand accountability. It's much easier to encourage people to embrace specific practices in their life. So if, I, if I'm mentoring someone or I'm discipling someone, I can be like, well, did you do this, 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 and this? And like I can start trying to create accountable practices in their life. Now, I want to encourage them with practices, but here's what I really want them to embrace. Accountability comes when I start to help them develop principles in their life to live by. Like, just because I grow, because I do a quiet time every morning at this time, and, and I can tell you my structured routine doesn't mean that that's going to work for you. The practice may not work for you, but the principle of having intentional alone time with God that is going to help you live that out, I can teach you that principle. So it's not about practices. Accountability is not about practices. It's about principles and creating ongoing rhythms in people's lives. And this is a big one. How do we encourage is to understand connectivity. My goal isn't to make a person dependent upon me. When somebody comes to me and says, hey, could you help me in this area? It's tempting sometimes to make somebody dependent upon you. Like, look at what I'm doing for this person. It's not to 
to make them to believe everything I believe or to, to do everything I do. The goal is this. My goal is to connect them with God. That's what, can, that's what I'm doing. If somebody's submitting to me, here's what I'm actually trying to do. I'm actually trying to clear the pathway and just be a connector between them and God. I'm not a go-between. I'm not the one that they have to come to with all their problems from here on out. I'm simply a connector between them and God, creating a pathway and allowing the Holy Spirit to work his life. I've met some guys in my life who talk about their discipleship tree. Like, oh, I discipled this guy, then they discipled this. And, like, they can trace, like, you know, I've got 28 people in ministry because of this one guy I discipled, you know, kind of. Like, it reminds me of Bill Walsh coaching tree. If you, if you follow the NFL, like, there are 30 coaches in the NFL that can trace their lineage back to Bill Walsh, a, a coach with the San Francisco 49ers. And, like, we as sometimes spiritual, like, if you are some of spiritual leaders, like, talk about, look at my lineage. But these are not your people. That's not, God did not call you to create a following. He created you to connect people to follow him. And we get caught up in that sometimes. I've gotten caught up in that in the past. Look, as a pastor, you're like, oh, good crowd today. <laughs> you know, it's like, but then you're like, this is, our job is to, my job is to get out of the way and connect you with God. That's what encouraging does. And we should have organized systems. And I've talked to you, like, I want to organize systems to function this way. I want our community groups to function with both encouragement and submission, discipleship circles, mentoring groups. This is how it ought to flow. But it doesn't stop there. If you look next at verse 46, it says they were at the temple. It says day by day they were at the temple. But then they were also breaking bread in their homes. So in the temple it may have been organized, but can I guarantee you, like, breaking bread in their homes that was not organized. I call it organic. It's organic community. It just happens naturally. Inviting people into your life experience. As great as organized community is, it is an incomplete model of what real community is. Just because you show up to a community group because you say, I'm in this discipleship circle, I'm being mentored by this person, that does not mean you fully embraced community. Because community happens when we actually just do life with one another. We just, the thing we got to do here is, is learn to invite people into our lives and invest in them when they come. Just simply invite and invest. There's not six points of how to invite and six points of how to invest. Those two words kind of stand on their own. Like, just invite somebody. Invite somebody to a meal. Invite somebody to come over. Be in your apartment. Be in your home. Invite somebody to go do something together. And while you're there, invest in them. Spend time getting to know their story, learning about them, sharing what you have together. And can I tell you what this takes? This takes time and energy. But anything worth accomplishing takes time and energy. Like that shouldn't be a surprise. Like good friendships, good investment in people, good connections, good community take time and energy. And why do we think sometimes that deep, meaningful relationships should just happen without hard work? Why do we think that at some point I won't have to put in the hard work of keeping the friendship healthy? Like, all right, we're in a good spot. I'm done. Like, I'm, you know, and they come back. and that's, Look, they don't happen that way. Why do we think that one day I'll have enough friends that I can stop inviting and invest people into my life? And here's why we do that. We fall into these traps because we like to, as individuals, put things in the complete pile. Like, we like to empty our inbox. I'm done. My inbox is empty. We can, you know, we, we can do this with organic community as well. We think the relationships will just keep growing with any, without putting any new fuel into them. 
And I want to tell you, I could talk about this topic a long time because this is something I just am passionate about. But you will not experience true community unless you are intentionally, regularly inviting people into your life and investing in them. Not programmatically, not like with a checklist, informally, just as life happens. You want community? Invite and invest. So we've got to embrace community. The, the last thing, and we'll close on this, the last thing we have to embrace is this. If we embrace community, to make community actually work, you've got to embrace vulnerability. You've got to be vulnerable. You've got to be you. Without vulnerability, the practice of organized or organic community simply turn into another way to polish the outside of our lives. Like, look, I, I had dinner with this person last night. I invited and invested in them. You know, I, like, we turn it into another checklist instead of like, no, oh, yeah, I guess I did that. We just start seeing it happen. If we're not vulnerable, with, vulnerability opens up the inside of our lives to others. I, I've been in way too many discipleship groups, I mentioned this earlier, that turn into spiritual competitions versus spiritual communities and spiritual communities are what we're after here and that happens with vulnerability can i tell you what the definition of vulnerability is because this is what i'm telling you to embrace it says the definition of vulnerability is this be open to attack or damage exposed or assailable that's not typically what i want to characterize my life as like yeah my life is open to attack i'm assailable come on in like that's typically not the way we want to do it, my immediate, immediate reaction would be like, I don't want to be attacked. But I want you to hear something. In Christian community, it's not you that is being attacked or damaged. But when you are vulnerable, you're allowing your sin, your selfishness, and your destructive attitudes, such as bitterness, anger, and unforgiveness, to be the objects of the attack. It's what needs to get out of my life that I open up to allow the attacks to come in and deal with. The crazy thing is, is when we don't make our hearts, our weaknesses, our struggles vulnerable to others, then we actually can't help them. They're not, they can't help us defeat them. And we become vulnerable ourselves. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not saying being vulnerable is a painless thing. Dealing with a sin issue in your life, dealing with a bad attitude that needs to be pried out of your life and worked out of your life in community can be a very difficult, painful thing. But it can also be a very prosperous thing on the other side. So how do we do this? Realize this. I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. Like to be vulnerable to somebody, when somebody opens up to you, be like, oh, I've never struggled with that, but I'll research it for you. And uh, no, it's like, you know, you struggle with greed, lust, hate, anger. What? Like I've struggled with greed, lust, hate. I mean, we all have that in our lives. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. And vulnerability allows us to connect together in our imperfections and allow Christ to come in and deal with those. It's not that we celebrate our imperfections together, but we can find com- commonality in them and then grow from there. So realize you're not perfect, but also realize this. It doesn't, you're also not useless. You'd be like, man, I, like, I know I'm not perfect, but I've just done t- way too much stuff. I'm useless for God. There's nobody I could help. I'm the one that needs way too much help. Like, I'm, I'm dragging everybody else down. Just because you struggle, just because you have challenges in your life, they don't have to define you. In our weaknesses, God is made strong. Christ it makes himself known in our weaknesses. And the last thing of how to embrace vulnerability is this, is realize you're not alone. Whatever pathway you're walking right now, 
whatever struggle you're facing, I can guarantee you somebody else in here has dealt with that. Somebody else has walked that path. Somebody else is ahead of that path on you, and you know what? Somebody's behind the path on you, and you can reach out and help them. We're all journeying together. Like, realize you are not alone. But unless you admit you're not perfect and useless and say, I need help, nobody knows how to walk that path together. My question for you today is this. Who are you doing community with? Organized, organic, whatever. Who are you doing community with? Who am I growing with? Who am I investing in? Who's investing in me? And I want to tell you something. We shouldn't have to think very long to answer those kind of questions. They should come to us like, who am I doing community with? Boom, boom. Like, I, I, I know. If we're doing community, if we've embraced community and embraced vulnerability, it just happens. Who's investing in me? I know this person's investing. I'm submitting to this person. Who am I encouraging? They should be natural answers to those questions. Who are you doing community with? I want to close with this. Every Sunday, I really believe God uses his word to prompt our spirits. And maybe in here today, God is prompting some of you in a new way that you've never experienced before. Maybe you've never had community with God. Maybe you've never understood what it is to have a relationship to God and be reconciled through Jesus Christ. Today, if God's prompting your spirit to be like, I want to take that next step, I want you to hear something, God's preparing you for that as well. He's preparing you for a conversation. Or maybe God's prompting your spirit in here today, and you go, you know what? I've never really had community with anybody. I've always kind of kept things closed off. And today, God's challenging you to prompt out and step out and to build a relationship like never before. Will you join me as we pray?